When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Steady, ho, ho. Hey, look, it's Ringo. Yeah. Hello, kid. Hello, Curly. Hi, Buck. How's your folks? Oh, just fine, Ringo, except my grandfather came Shut up. Shut up. Didn't expect to see you riding shotgun on this run, Marshal. Going to Lordsburg? I figured you'd be there by this time. No. Lame horse. Well, it looks like you've got another passenger. Yeah. I'll take the Winchester. You may need me in this Winchester, Curly. Hi, everybody. I'm Dan. And I'm Mike. So welcome to 15 Minute Film Fanatics. The way this works, as you probably know, is that Mike and I watch movies separately and talk about them on the show for the first time. Today we're doing a movie, Mike, which is kind of funny because we've crossed the 200 episode mark and we've never gotten around to this movie. Outstanding. What movie are we doing today, Mike? Stagecoach. 1939, John Ford, classic. Our also, also our first John Wayne film, right? So... Um, directed by John Ford, written by Ernest Haycox, Dudley Nichols, and Ben Hecht, who, well, of course, Dudley Nichols and Ben Hecht wrote a hundred other great movies. And also 1939, what a year for movies, right? You got How is it possible that we've done 200 episodes? This is our first John Wayne. I know, it's crazy, right? 1939, you got Gone with the Wind, Stagecoach, The Wizard of Oz, The Roaring Twenties, The Rules of the Game. What a great year for movies. So in part one, we always talk about our overall take. I'm still laughing at myself that we have not, we've never talked about Stagecoach. So that's what the show is for, Mike, go. This is somehow another Ur movie, kind of like I mentioned when we did The Verdict, where this movie will teach you about the structure of movies. It's it's 90 minutes, start to finish. There's almost no time spent on exposition. All the exposition is done in dialogue. You get a lot of the action having taken place in very confined spaces. Obviously, the uh, titular stagecoach but um, also in the hacienda that they that they end up in, that they eventually have to flee. And again, it's just kind of a clinic on character dynamics, on having one high, one low, you know, one east, one west, and allowing those dynamics to, to play off of one another such that you could say, and I maybe have more about this on the ending, that the the actual quote-unquote conflict that's going on in stagecoach is really just a frame narrative for the interaction between people which uh, i think is what we as humans enjoy watching uh just as much as we like the action and i think ben hecht i mean ben hecht has his finger in so many great pies that it would be impossible to name them all but this is again this is this is just a classic if you have a niece or nephew or a kid that says oh i really like the movies they should just watch stagecoach a hundred times I agree that that Geronimo is not the cause of the conflict here. The cause of the conflict is this Petri dish that these people get thrown into as they're going through, you know, the, the land of the Apaches. 
Funny that you mentioned this is a clinic on how to watch a film, because I don't know if you know this story, but do you know who studied this film and watched it over and over and over to learn how to make a movie? I don't. Orson Welles. This is, that's the movie he studied to make Citizen Kane. I didn't know that, but that makes 100% sense to me. You once said in a past episode that one of your go-to movies, if you have, not that you and I have written a movie, but that's that's our next podcast, our next project. But one of the things I remember you saying when we did Alien was, if someone said to you, how do you put a movie together? You said, watch Alien. Alien is, it's stagecoach in space. <laughs> that's true. Yeah, it's like, I didn't even think it. Yeah, because you have all the different people. And you have the, you have the uh, Geronimo. Actually, I mean, I think they say the name Geronimo in more than he's actually in shots. Yeah, but think about that. An alien, yes, the creature is Geronimo, and you have Harry Dean Stanton and Yafet Kota. Remember, they're the union guys. You have the uh, Tom Skerritt is the is the uh, you know the boss. That's a, that's a you have of course. There's no hidden robot in Stagecoach, but one of the great things about Stagecoach that I love, besides learning that force feeding black coffee can cure drunkenness, which is a great thing we all learned from Stagecoach, is that um, the poster says, and I love this. The tagline for the movie was a powerful story of nine strange people. But what I think, they're not strange at all. Like, they're all totally recognizable types, don't you think? Yeah, I think one of the things that the movie does well is that while it plays into dynamics, it often plays against dynamics. For example, the movie never allows you to despise Doc. Never. It doesn't matter how drunk he gets. Just the movie always has its finger on the scale, and it understands how you feel about him at any given time. And just when you think he's great, he starts drinking again. And just when you think he's a louse, he does something heroic. And what the movie tells you, uh, again, this is the stock reason for alcoholism in film, but it tells you that he's he's too sensitive to his own fatalism and the fatalism of other. Right? Like, why why does he drink? He drinks because he cares. And how do you know that? Because sometimes he cares enough to stop drinking, which again, I, and I understand the sentimentalism there, but in a 90 minute window, there's, there's a faint hint of sentimentalism that works kind of like sugar, like before it's cloying, it's just sweet enough to get you through. And there's other bitterness to offset it in the movie. You have these nine people, including that, you know, the sentimental, the rank sentimentalist, as we say in Casablanca. And I love that they're all going through this, this, this land of the West that's rough and untamed. And the very first scene is, you know, the scout says, um, you know, the, the hills are full of Apaches. And the other scout says, this, this guy had a fight with them last night. And uh, he says, is it Geronimo? How do we know he's not lying? And he says, no, he's a Cheyenne. They hate Apaches worse than we do. And that, I love how that's all put out there as the context, but the the viewer doesn't care about that. You really care about the nine people. So I want to go back to this thing about the nine strange people. So that the West is a rough place. It's untamed. They're going through it. And they go through the desert, I think, the way people kind of go through life, for, for lack of a better term, right? So what's your outlook on life? And for these nine strange people, they have nine different outlooks. And how do those outlooks get you through the, the trials of life, right? And I kind of put them into three groups. And I just want to, I want to talk about this for a second. First, you have the people that keep their head down, right? The head downers. When life gets rough, you just keep going. Like there's Mr. Peacock, the whiskey salesman. I'm not going to drink, but I'll give it to other people. There's Buck, Andy Devine. If there's one thing I don't like, it's driving a stage goes through Apache County, right? Then you get what I call like the holier than vows. You get the ladies league. You get a Mr. Gatewood. We need a businessman for president. You get Hatfield. Who has his that code of gallantry about like a lady which of course um i i care about a, a lady so much that i will shoot her in the head lest she gets captured right so he lives by that code and of course you just said about doc boone do you remember what doc boone says when he took a bullet out of a guy shot by a gentleman 
He says, the bullet was in his back. So that's kind of shown to, so there's these holier than thou folks. But then I think you get the people that you'd want to hang out with, like the people that John Ford likes, right? And that's Doc Boone, right? He says, be a proud, glorified drag like me. You get um, Mrs. Mallory, who's kind of like dull, but at least she wants to go and see, see her husband. She's got to have the baby to keep keep things going. You get Ringo, who of course is John Wayne. Like, uh, you know, I used to be a good cow hand, but things happen, right? You get Dallas, who says you got to live no matter what happens, right? Um, and you get Curly, the, the marshal who wants to do the right thing. Remember that Curly wants John Wayne to go to jail because he thinks he's saving his life. If I put you in jail, then then the, the bad guys can't get you. And of course, he lets him escape at the end. So I think it's kind of cool. It's like, like John Ford clearly has his um his teacher's pets, but you put those teacher's pets in with these other kind of people, and you see them like how do you how do you approach the trials that are going to face you as you go out into this new life? Hi, welcome back. In part two, we always talk about our favorite moment, and there's so many to pick from in this movie. But Mike, what's yours? My moment is when they bring the baby out into the hacienda to see, uh, so so that everybody can take a look at her. Um, and they call her the little coyote and they start to argue about um, whether they're going to leave or not later. But for a moment, the whole action of the movie is suspended and it's somehow it's somehow halftime. There's I think it's it's about the triumph of human moments overcoming the, the outside conflict. Um, and again, that, there's there's so much about this um, interior exterior conflict in this movie and i think i think just in movies in general um that that it's difficult to put your finger directly on it but there is something about the triumph of human experience over what's going on generally for example i i think it's about the way that we tend to demarcate our lives by our personal losses and triumphs right and not like not who was president yes that was the year that x was born that was the year that that so and so got married yeah Imagine your second kid and try to remember who was president. You can calculate it by whatever year they were born, but you know exactly what you're wearing when when the kid was born, right? And it's not. I think it's not how certain people think about movies or try to do. Um, I think overtly political readings of movies, right? And and this this movie just laughs in the face of reading into things because it's it's about on the face value of it human experience. Another scene later, they're all going to vote yes or no, and they're all going to argue over whether it's safer to leave or not for themselves or the or the life of the baby. Right. The, the baby itself is kind of a MacGuffin when it comes to this argument about should we stay or should we go, but not when the baby's out. Right. When the when the baby's out somehow, it 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 structures reality. It structures the scene. And that, I think, is is how actual moment structure our lives in the same way as that as that scene yes uh, to quote our friend our mutual friend samuel johnson of course public affairs vex no man is that i thought of that when you said the thing about president right you can you can we we can get all wound up about all kinds of things you see in the newspaper but and i think that's really important but the real moments that john ford shows are like the birth of a child Right. That's much more important than than what the movie is quote unquote saying about about westward expansion Right. And exactly. So and so you have you you have nine lives plus the guy who owns the Hacienda. And suddenly there's this 11th that comes in. But but the 11th structures the other 10 for a moment in time. Yeah. Which is just like which is just exactly what happens when a baby's born in your life. It restructures what you think is important and 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 how far you're going to go in the stagecoach.
So my moment, it's great that you picked the day because of course we know Doc Boone has his coffee, as we said before. I love that. I love when they're for when they're force feeding him like foie gras, like to, to make him drink the black coffee. He's going, more, more, right? Slap um, me again. Yeah, slap me again. Well, things we've learned from movies by Dan and Mike. Just splash some cold water in his face. Yeah, exactly. Cold water. So you're a sopping wet, caffeinated drunk. I want my moment is another Doc Boone moment, and that's when he has the stare down with Luke Plummer. Now it's funny we've just done we recently did Punch Drunk Love, another movie with a great stare down that we love, and it's when he looks at him and says, "You know, Luke's going to go outside. We're getting ready for the big showdown with John Wayne," and he says, "I'll have you indicted for murder if you step outside with that shotgun." And then Luke puts the gun down. He goes outside. Of course, the prostitute throws him a new gun, right? But then he goes back and says, "Don't ever let me do that again." And it reminded me of a couple of things. One is that it's like the Seinfeld episode where George Costanza does everything the opposite of his usual intentions. And all of a sudden, like his life works. And that's exactly what Thomas Mitchell does there as Doc Boone. But actually, it's not funny. When he says, I'll have you indicted for murder, there is something very powerful about him doing it. And doesn't it remind you of, I have a love in me so strong. (laughs) Like when, 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 um, Adam Sandler stares down Philip Seymour Hoffman and says, I have a love in me so strong. But it also, then it gets undercut with a joke, don't ever let me do that again, which I think is like a wah, wah, wah joke. Like it's not, it's not really that funny, but it does raise the issue of this. And the question is, how do moments of crisis bring out sides of us that we never saw? So you just said that a baby restructures people's lives in ways they couldn't imagine, right? You can read books about having a kid. You can read, you can see movies about having kids, but until you have kids, until you do it, you don't really know what it's like. And the same thing is with crisis moments, right? What does a crisis bring out in you? And I think here it's kind of like a nice moment because it's it's played for laughs at the end, but in that moment, he's strong enough that he makes Luke Plummer, you know, th- throw the gun away. And that scene doesn't have to be in there. Luke could have just gone outside and Doc could have watched him. But I think it's really cool that that you said before, John Ford keeps trying to get us to like Doc Boone. And that's like a, 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 one of many moments in the movie. Yeah, I think he's the bellwether for the, for the movie that lets you know what what the movie's temperature is and i i think that if you loved doc boone it would be sentimental trash and if you hated him the movie wouldn't work but if you feel both or you feel ambiguous about him or you're trying to always figure it out or any any scene with him becomes more interesting it it's sustainable for 90 minutes yeah it does because every time he's on screen you don't mind you let you're glad he's on screen He's like, every time you get a John Wayne scene, you're like, oh, great, this is a John Wayne scene. But actually, you know what, to, to the point of that, I think the reason the movie works is because there are no dead, quote unquote, you know, dead to us characters. Everybody in the movie is, is interesting. Yeah, I, I I certainly like the way um, when when Gatewood argues that they need to run, because essentially what what's the life of one kid, you know, versus the all the money that he's got in his satchel. And again, it's it he's he's villainous to the point of reverse sentimentality where, you know, nobody's that villainous in that they would say it out loud. But that's the kind of thing that people would think inside. Yeah. And I thought of one more example of that with a show that I know you like. Another example of something that was sustained where every character on screen makes you say, oh, this is good. This is going to be good. Arrested Development. Right. I'm sad because Job isn't in the scene. Oh, but here comes Tobias. There's always exceptions for genius, right? If you're going to be a genius, then just then just be one. But there is there is a, another ensemble sense where you think any scene without this character is a scene wasted. 
and then another ar- another uh, actor with you know with with great lines coming up says well let me show you what i can do and and th- that's why this movie is just a tour de force and if again if you're going to be a tour de force or you're going to be written by a genius then just do your thing and don't forget friend of the show jeffrey tambor So welcome back. In part three, we always talk about the title. I think we've covered the title. They're in a stagecoach. What do you make of the famous ending where Doc Boone says, well, they're saved from the blessings of civilization, and then Curly buys him a drink? Something about their community of the stagecoach falls apart when they reach town. And it's very much as though darkness outside, chaos outside, makes it so that the light of the little civilization that they have shines brightly. Now, again... You could come to me and say, okay, well, that's how all movies work. You know, there's some kind of chaos outside that creates a structured order, you know, quote unquote inside or wherever the camera's pointing. And I would say, you're right. But it's to a dramatic degree, to a highly visible degree in Stagecoach, because everything is exaggerated by the fact that they're cramped, that they have no room, that there's only, um, you know, desert and murderers outside. That and 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 that's what creates their society. However, when they reach society, what happens is it, it's as though that little candlelight that they have, which shone very brightly in darkness, gets totally diffused by lights everywhere, right? Civilization is like light pollution. It's just there's so many people everywhere. There's such ordered, structured hierarchy everywhere that the personal hierarchies get kind of washed away. And that's when, uh, you know, the, the loose women become loose women again. That's when the ladies merely become wives. That's where the outlaws become outlaws again. It doesn't matter who you were in the stagecoach. A, a different kind of order reasserts itself. And because orders move to the outside, chaos has moved to the inside. And so the punchline of the movie is in order to preserve the internal order of this one relationship so that they can be married, they have to get far away. They have to go to a place where there's chaos on the outside so that you can have order on the inside, which is, of course, like, go west young man right is it take the order of civilization with you and go to a place where there is not so that you can feel it inside in personal relationships but of course the place where they're going to go is no place because there is no place like that right he's got his ranch that's going to be again go west young man but i think that's true is that they're saved from the blessings of civilization well where is that that's certainly a nice sentiment it's like the end of the sun also rises when he says isn't it pretty to think so but where are they going to go so we talked about how these nine these nine strange people have different points of view on how to navigate the difficult world around them. And at the end, well, what's John Ford think about all this, right? Well, you could say that what John Ford thinks is the best way to live is to break away from all that stuff, you know, to be like Thoreau, to get away from the quote unquote blessings of civilization, he said with air quotes. But can you really get away from the blessings of civilization? No, the only place you can do that is in the movies. The only place you could do that is an art. So they go away and Doc and Curly go to have a drink and, you know, they're going to go back to civilization like they all will. But I think the movie makes you feel good that Dallas and Ringo are going to, quote unquote, escape. But there really is no escape. That, that it's, it's, a, it's a fantasy world as much as the rest of the film is a fantasy world. And so that that's where the, that's where the movie leaves you. And that's why there's no movie about the two of them. There's only an implied film about the two of them or an, or like an invisible ending uh, that you know that that carries on after they say uh, "haya" and they they leave them and the and the horses uh, the horses wheel them away. 
The most you can do is be like Curly and let people try to get away from the blessings of civilization because Curly's supposed to represent civilization. He's the law. He's supposed to obey the law as the marshal and, and do what the law says, but he doesn't. He, he, he purposely lets Ringo escape because he knows that's more important than the written law. He's following a different law, the law of right and wrong. The viewer's on his side. So he goes to let him go. But that's it's almost like this bargain you can make with civilization. Like, all right, I, I have to carry around the badge and the weight of, of this quote unquote civilizing influence called the law. But sometimes it's wrong. And, and the most you can do as a person is, is to, to undercut it, which is what he, why he lets him go away. The fault is in us, right? Like we're we're the ones that make the civilization, which is right, which is cramping our which is cramping our style as humans. I think this movie shows you that you have to have a heart and you have to have technique. And I've seen a lot of movies that are either or, and it doesn't work. Thanks for listening, everybody. We hope you enjoyed our conversation about Stagecoach. You could follow us on Twitter at one five m i n film, and you could also follow us where Mike Letterbox. Follow us on Letterbox. Let us know what to watch next. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll see you next time.